Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen. Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand as you're seated today? Great to see you. I don't think I had you do this yet. By the way, good morning. Do me a favor. Turn to somebody near you and says, it's starting to feel like spring. Do that real quick. It's starting to feel like spring. Then turn to somebody on the other side and say, but I'm not fooled yet. I'm not fooled yet. I've lived in Michigan long enough to know I'm not going to trust it. I'm not trusting it until it's June 15th. I, that's, that's, when I, that's when I figure the end of the snow might start. So anyway, great to see you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to conclude the series today where we kind of began the series talking about the freedom that the Lord wants to offer in our life. Where well, the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And over this last several weeks together, this has been for us anyway a lot of fun. Even in the worship teams we talked about how much we've enjoyed this series. Talking about strongholds. That strongholds are those walls that oftentimes people build in their own lives that they think are going to keep them safe. And they end up entrapping them. The enemy uses them to become almost unscalable walls that hold them captive. And Paul says that the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world, but our weapons actually have the ability to demolish strongholds. Pastor Dan did a message on mats and how we've got to be willing to leave our mat, those places of safety behind, and roll it up, being willing to leave it behind in order to accept what it is, the healing that God wants to do in our life. And then last week we talked about some areas of footholds that we don't want to give the devil a foothold, how there are areas of sin in our life that can, when we give something a foothold, it means we open the door enough and that it wants to take residence within our lives. And so we've got to deal with those areas of foothold. And today we're going to talk about the freedom that God wants us to walk into. We've talked about the fact, right, that, with that, that Satan is a liar, and that he's the father of lies, and that we believe those lies sometimes. And I remember the story uh, from years ago of a, of a pastor who was walking down, and he looked down an alley, and he saw little boys, like 10, 12 little boys in a circle. And as he got a little bit closer to him, he saw that they had a dog in the middle of the circle. And so he's a little nervous that they were going to do something mean to the dog. And so he goes down, and he says, hey, boys, what's going on down here? And the oldest boy said, well, he said, we found this stray dog. Nobody knows where he belongs. We all want him. We want to make him our pet. And so we're trying to figure out how we're, going to, how we're going to decide who gets him. And so we came up with the idea that whoever tells the biggest lie in the circle gets to have the dog. And uh, the pastor, you know, is you know, just incense. And so he just said, well, hey, I, I, he goes into like a little 10-minute diatribe, a little mini message on the evils of lying, how God doesn't want us to lie, how Scripture says we shouldn't lie, it's a sin. And then he finishes up, almost like he gives an altar call. He goes, and boys, I want to tell you, when I was your age, I never, never, market, never told a lie. Little boys just kind of stood there and their heads were down. And after a little bit of silence, the littlest one looked up and said, All right, guys, give them the dog. <laughs> Scripture says what? Jesus says, If the Son sets you free, you shall be what? Free indeed. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall what? Set you free. And in, 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 first, or in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, this passage is such a profound passage. I'll be honest, I have been reading this for 30 plus years. I find myself still just pondering it. 
But he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, we'll begin with. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, I mean, you could literally take and put three messages in that because there's just, just so much in there. But I want to focus on verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But I would like to add to that if I can without being too presumptuous. But it's not automatic. I think we recognize that when Jesus dies for our sins, we are forgiven. We understand that by the cross of Jesus Christ, by his shed blood, payment is made for our freedom. His resurrection is his empowerment for victory. And that he, he can do all kinds of things in our life, right? He, he can set us free. He can bring life change. In fact, he, he wants to bring life change, but it's not automatic. We still have to walk in that freedom. David Siemens is an author and a professor, actually. He was at Asbury Theological Seminary. One of the better writers, Christian, Christian writers that I have ever read who talks about inner healing. Um, he really has a counselor kind of a, a kind of a counselor heart and he does an incredible job of talking and walking you through um, inner healing that can happen in your life he was a, a he was one of the key leaders in the Methodist revival movement and uh, has written a number of books one of those little books is called healing for damaged emotions it is a very thin little book I like it because I can devour it so quickly. And I like little books like that that I can devour that are profound that I can just think about. And so, so this is one of those books I read years ago, Healing for Damaged Emotions. And in it, he tells the story. He grew up in India. His parents were missionaries in India. And he tells the story of, of at a, a marketplace where farmers would come in and sell their produce and animals, etc., in India that a farmer came in and he was selling some quails. They're basically like a Cornish ham, you know what a quail, it's just a little bird. And he had these quail that he was selling, bringing a whole covey. And the way that he would sell them is he would put little um, uh, uh, twine or a little bit of uh, string on their leg and he would um, have them attached to a single uh, stick and that the birds would, would would just kind of walk around in circles. They'd, they'd been there for so long that they knew kind of what to do. And he said, so they put the stick in the ground and then those little quail would just walk around in circles because they couldn't get any further than the string would let them go. And he said, a Hindu guy came in and who believes that all life is precious. And so he said, I want to buy all of your birds. And so he bought all the birds and then he told the farmer, he said, now I want you to let them go. Farmer was like, what? What do you mean? He goes, no, I want to release them all. I want to release all the birds, cut the strings off their legs. So they took the strings and they would cut the string off the legs, but the birds wouldn't go anywhere. They just kept walking around in circles. And he said, finally, um, he shooed the birds away 
So they would fly off, and he said they flew away about 25 to 30 yards. They all came back down on the ground, and then they started walking in a circle again. Because they had been so used to walking in bondage that even though they had freedom, they didn't really walk in that freedom. They don't know how to do it. And he likened that to Christians who, who even though we've been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ, and even though the victory has been won, there are patterns that are often in our lives that become a part of who we are that we don't know what to do with that freedom because we don't know how to walk in that freedom. And it's interesting because when Paul talks about the Spirit of the Lord, he says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But I suggest to you that it's not automatic because we still have to embrace what the Spirit of God wants to do in our lives. In fact, Paul even teaches that we can actually hinder the working of the Spirit of God and what he wants to do in our lives, even as believers. There are three ways I'm going to share with you this morning that he says you can hinder the Spirit, and then there's one way that he says you invite the Spirit, and I want to walk you through that this morning as much as possible to simply talk about this whole thing of embracing and stepping into the freedom that God has for you. Now, the first thing that Paul warns against that we ought to make sure, or the Word of God warns us against, that we ought not to do is to resist the Spirit. And resisting the Spirit actually comes out of a message by a man by the name of Stephen in Acts chapter 6. Stephen is full of the Spirit, okay? I'm not making that up. Luke testifies to that. He is full of the Spirit of God. He is chosen to be one of the leaders of the early Christian church as a deacon because he evidenced being filled with the Spirit. He is filled with the Spirit when he speaks. He, so he is Spirit-anointed. He is Spirit-led. He is this guy. He's got the Spirit of God all over him, and he begins to preach to the Sanhedrin. Now, this happens to be a message about Jesus Christ, and I will tell you that if you read the whole story, he is a very powerful preacher, but not exactly going to win awards uh, for his diplomacy. And it says this in Acts chapter uh, 6, verse 15, All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw his face, that it was like the face of an angel. Later on in the message, as he talks about Jesus, his resurrection, and about the Old Testament, how God pursued them, he looked at them and said, You stiff-necked people... With uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. By the way, they were so pleased with him that they took him and made him the first Christian martyr. They killed him. Resisting the Spirit of God is stubbornly pushing back against the grace of God that God wants to do in our lives. This is what comes to my mind when I think of it. It is crossing your arms and saying, okay, God, I dare you. I dare you to try to get through to me. I dare you to try to speak to me. I dare you to try to change me. I dare you to try to save me. I dare you to reveal yourself to me. Go ahead. Do your best. It's the idea of having really kind of a, a resistant, stubborn 
hardness toward the things of God. And by the way, it's not that unusual when you see that they responded to Stephen by killing him. That isn't that unusual because I have found that when people are resisting God's Spirit speaking into their lives, I have found that when he does start speaking, they get very angry and they want to attack whoever it is that God is speaking to them through. Because we're proud and we're stubborn and we're hard. A number of years ago, this is back when we had pews in the worship center, we were having a service that I don't remember the year, but I still remember it's one of the more unusual response times that I've ever had as a pastor because I really believe that God was just moving in that service. And I gave an altar time, and there were a couple of people who flittered down here, but there wasn't very many. And, but what happened was is that after we sang the last song, and people walked out, that's when people started responding. And little by little, we started having people come down to the altar, but everybody else was leaving. And it was just a, it was like a delayed reaction. Well, one of the men who was in that service was sitting back in this area right in here, and he was white-knuckling it. Um, you know what I mean when I say that? He was holding on to the pew in front of him, and he was miserable during that service. And he was holding on, he said, he was holding on so tight that his knuckles were white because he did not want to come down and respond to that message. As soon as I got to the prayer time, he didn't even wait for the dismissal. He didn't wait for the last song. He said, I got up and I walked out the back of the worship center, went out to my car, got in, turned on the car, waited for my family to come out. His family eventually did join him and he said, and I almost got out of here. It was probably 10 minutes after the worship center had pretty much emptied out. And I was sitting down here, I was talking to somebody, and here comes this guy walking down this aisle over here. And he came up to the front and he said, I got almost all the way out, but he said, I pulled in front of the, of the church building and he said, I just couldn't leave. And he said, I put my car in park. He said, my family's still out there uh, in the car right now. But, and he came down and he gave his heart to Christ that morning. Isn't it interesting what we will do to resist what God wants to do in our life? And freedom is available and freedom has already been paid for. But we still have to embrace and we still have to allow God's grace to work in our life. We can actually resist him. Now, the second one that Paul talks about is grieving the Spirit. And isn't it interesting? It did everything I could not to talk about this last week because it was smack dab in the middle of the passage that we actually looked at when we talked about footholds. Because in the middle of the footholds message, he begins to talk about how that we can grieve the Spirit of God. And by the way, when you grieve someone, what are you doing? You're making them sad. You're, you're simply bringing sadness or you're making them cry or you're bringing a somberness to them. And he says that you can actually grieve, you can actually bring sadness to the Spirit of God. By the way, if any of you ever want to do studies on the Trinity and how can we know that the Holy Spirit is really a person of the Trinity, that's a great passage because right there we see that the Holy Spirit is not an it or a thing. He actually has emotion. We can actually lie to the Holy Spirit. It says uh, when Ananias 
Ananias and Sapphira. It says that they lied to the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they were lying to God. And so it's very much an evidence that, that the Holy Spirit is actually a person of the Trinity. He is God. And here's what it says in this passage. He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So he's speaking to believers here. They're already, they already are believers. He says, you've already been sealed by the Holy Spirit, but you're still grieving him. Can you believe that? Look what it says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So Paul says that when you allow this foothold into your life, when you, not only in how you treat one another and when you speak what those putrid words towards others, when you do that, you are hindering the Spirit of God. You're grieving Him and therefore hindering His ability to work in your life and the world life of your relationship. He says that when you hold on to anger and bitterness, does God love you? Of course He loves you. But you're hindering His ability to work in your relationship, your marriage, your church, because you are fostering a foothold in your life which keeps the Spirit of God from being able to work. By the way, wasn't just in the area of anger and unforgiveness. Remember last week we talked about that when you have a greedy spirit, when it's just self-centered in life, where everything is about you, or when you are holding on to immorality, he says, don't even have a hint of immorality. Why? Because it gives the enemy a foothold in your life. It gives him residence and it grieves the Spirit of God. And it hinders his working. Now if I, I try to think, okay, so, so what, if I look at the context, what is it that actually grieves the Holy Spirit? And I would say this, that first of all, like any parent, God is grieved when his kids hate one another when they're not in relationship with one another. I, I don't know how many of you are parents of kids seven years of old age or older. Any of you have any seven-year-olds on up? Okay, really? That's it? Raise your hand. Come on. All right, there we go. So mo many of you in here have kids seven years of age or up. They can be 80. It's okay. And the only reason I picked seven is, I don't know, I just picked it up. I think at seven years old, you start to recognize certain things. So I just said seven. And what's interesting is that how many parents, how many of us are grieved when you have children, when there's not just bickering going on, there's genuine disunity and, a, and almost a harbored hate for each other. I've talked with parents of older children where you have to meet with different children at different times because why? There's this anger this unforgiveness, this hurt from the past, and you can't bring the whole family. And so as a parent, doesn't that grieve your spirit? Imagine what that does to your, your heavenly father. Now the other thing that grieves me as a parent, and I know it grieved my parents, is when you're constantly rebelling against your parent. I have a son, Calvin, who is, how old is he now? 26? Okay, he's 26. And he's a dad. I don't know if I told you this or not, but I'm a grandpa. I, did I, okay. 
we saw him this week. And he's a great daddy, and they, they're a great couple. But <clears throat> before he was 26, he was 16. Scripture doesn't say how old Satan was when he rebelled against God. I'm guessing he was 16. And so Calvin is, by the way, very much like his dad. We are very similar. Um, you don't have to say anything. We're, I'm a little stubborn. I'm very opinionated. I tend to take the lead on things. Calvin has a little stubbornness, very opinionated, and he's a great leader. We have a great relationship now, but there was a period of time right around 16, and I, I don't remember what we were talking about, but it just didn't feel like every time, it wasn't, didn't matter what we talked about, we were wrong. And it didn't matter, it didn't matter if I was saying that um, rain comes from the sky, I was wrong. And I remember there was a moment in there where I understood what it was to be grieved. And I wasn't mad and I wasn't angry. I was just so sad and disappointed. And the reason I tell that story is, is that when that happened to me, I remember in that moment thinking back to my relationship with my dad. And by the way, I was once 16. And I was made in the image of my dad. And I remember my dad giving me a look that wasn't mad, wasn't angry, just deeply hurt and disappointed. And I remember thinking to myself, God, I'm so sorry because I think I made my dad feel the way that Calvin just made me feel. And Scripture says we can do that to the Spirit of God. When we harbor stuff in our life, when we are constantly pushing against Him, when we're constantly basically saying, I'm God, you're not, it grieves Him and it hinders His ability to work and to heal. Now there's a third one that I'm going to call quenching the Spirit because that's what the King James Version calls it. it, it in, your, in your NIV Bible, if you have an NIV or a more modern Bible, it probably says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Well, what does that mean? It just means to quench. Uh, the word is used a number of times positively, by the way, in the New Testament. It, uh, we can quench uh, with, the, with the shield of faith. We can quench or put out the fiery darts of the enemy. So it, it, it can be positive or negative. But Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, says this. He says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out, do not quench the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Now notice what Paul does here because Paul, Paul says you can, as a believer, actually douse what the Spirit of God wants to do. He actually puts it in context with treating prophecies with contempt. He actually puts them together. 
So what does that mean? It means that I have a dismissive, cynical spirit which either diminishes what the Holy Spirit is doing or I give credit to something else for what only the Spirit of God could do. Now, by the way, that is a pharisaical attitude, is it not? Because Jesus, when he performed the miracle of healing the man who was crippled and was unable to walk, when he healed the man, the Pharisee says, oh yeah, but he healed him by the spirit of Beelzebub. In other words, he healed that man, or he, I'm sorry, the demon-possessed man, he, he got the demon out of the guy by the spirit of the demon himself. And Jesus looked at him, and he was ticked. And he looked at them and he said, okay, you want to you wanna criticize me? Go ahead. You want to uh, blaspheme me? Go ahead. You just blasphemed what? The Holy Spirit, and that will not be forgiven. Now, why? Because they were attributing to the Spirit, I'm sorry, they were attributing to the enemy what belonged only to the Spirit of God. So God begins to move in a place, God begins to transform a person, and what do we do? We look at that very cynically, or we say, that's not real, or they're just faking it, or hey, they're just, we're mocking it even, right? God does something in a person's life, and we begin to mock what God is doing. We attribute it to something else. Maybe it's just simply, just simply something he had to eat, and it, and it diminishes and puts out what the Spirit of God is doing in a place. God, help us. Last night, um, we, we, had, we had a great service last night. I can't explain it why certain times it just seems like, boom, God is doing something. And last night was one of those services where, and they're not all like that on Saturday night, but, but last night when we came in, we began to worship together, and immediately there was just a sense that, wow, God is doing, it was just an incredible time. And, and so um, we were in that last song. We were just singing, worthy are you, God, worthy is your name. We were just worshiping the Lord in that moment. And the Lord, um, before I got up to, to do my prayer and speak, he just um, put on my heart the story of the woman with the bleeding disorder who touched Jesus' hem. And um, so real quickly, I took my phone. I, just, I looked it up real quick, Mark chapter 5. It's in several chapters, but it was in Mark chapter 5. And it's a woman who in that moment um, because she was so desperate and so at the end of her strength and there were no doctors that had any answers, she touched Jesus' hem and Jesus said, power went out from me. That was what the Lord put in my heart. I don't know why, but he did. And so I get up and right when we're going into the time of prayer, I just simply was talking about how wonderful it is to step and just be in God's presence. And when you're in God's presence, there's something transforming. And I said right before I came up here the Lord just gave me that story I feel like it's for somebody tonight and you're here tonight and you feel like you need just to touch the hem of Jesus's garment I had my eyes closed so I don't really know if anybody responded I said just right where you're at just put your hand up just put your finger out right now I just want to pray for you we prayed gave surrender great time celebrated sat down went into the message Everybody left last night. We had time around the altar. We were praying with people, just different aspects. Pretty much everybody was out of venue, and there was a guy standing there on the side. 
And I knew him. I recognized him. And he came up to me, introduced himself, and I, but I knew who he was. And, um, and he was just trembling. And you could tell that he had almost been weeping. And he said, can I share with you something? My wife has been so ill, and um, we're so discouraged. been ill for over a year. And it's... Um, it's spiritually taking a toll on us. We're not able to be here. And, and I came in tonight, and I was so discouraged, and I was so disappointed, and I sat down, and I just began to pray before anybody else really came before we started. And I just said, Lord, and he said, and he, he opened his Bible, and he gave it to me, and the very verse that I had quoted, he had underlined. And he said, Lord, all I want to do tonight is touch the hem of your garment. 35 minutes, 40 minutes later, I get up and quote that verse. He said, when you quoted that verse, I was blown away. Now, you might be here tonight, and by the way, that was a word to him that God knew where he was at, knew what they were going through, and, and was answering his prayer. And I thanked him, and I said, thank you so much for sharing that with me, because not only, first of all, did you acknowledge what God was doing in your life, do not treat prophecies with contempt. He didn't just explain it away. He saw it as God's answer for him. But when he shared back with me, now the next time the Lord puts something on my heart, do you think I'm going to be more, I'm going to listen? Sure I am. Why? Because I know it's not just the pizza I had the night before. It's, it's not easy doing that. It's not easy just speaking out. You, you might think it is. It is not. It is not easy to get up, say something that seems to make no sense whatsoever. But now I'm saying, okay, I, you know what? That is the Holy Spirit. He was the one who was speaking to me. And I think I've kind of learned it over the years how to do that. But now I'm going to be far more bold to be able to speak out in the future. Why? Because that came back very quickly that that really was what somebody where they were at, and they already had the verse. Does it start to make a little bit of sense? And so when we see what God is doing in somebody's life, can I just tell you, I will never curse what God is blessing. There may be churches that do things a little different than us, and as long as we what have what he says in verse 21, he says, test everything. It's okay to test it, just don't diminish it. Make sure it really is. Hold on to that thing. So it's okay to look at something according to the Word of God, but to sit somewhere and criticize what God is doing, I, God, I never want to be in that boat. Tell you what, Lord, you do whatever you want to do in my life. Forgive me when I have grieved you and resisted you and made you sad. Forgive me when I have attributed to circumstance or luck what you have designed and orchestrated by your Spirit. Forgive me when I have resisted the grace that you want to pour out into this situation in my life because simply I've been stubborn. So what does he ask us to do? Yield. Surrender. Allow him to do this work in our life. I know it's a very common passage. I know I've used it before. But it's right within the context of grieving the Spirit. He says, don't grieve the Spirit. Don't allow these bondages or footholds to be in your life. And then he gets into the rest of that passage in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
Do not get drunk on wine. Don't get stuck on that verse, even though it's very clear the Lord does not want us to step or walk in drunkenness. But I'll be honest with you, it's not the main point. He says, do not be drunk on wine. Don't live intoxicated, which leads to debauchery. It leads to stupid living. It leads to to having accidents. It leads to falling down and looking idiotic. It leads to walking around with underwear on your head, right? Don't live what in this, under the influence of, of, of alcohol, but what? Rather live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, You could say, but be drunk on the Spirit of God. But that just looks goofy to people, right? But he said, and by the way, what did they all accuse the disciples of being when the the Spirit of God fell on them? They were drunk. And they said, it's only like noon. He says, be so surrendered to the Spirit of God in your life that there's an automatic yes on your heart. So that if God wants you to ask for forgiveness, you will ask for forgiveness. And if God wants you to show and give forgiveness, you will give forgiveness. And if God reveals there's a bitter root in your life, then you're willing to allow him to eradicate and deal with the bitter root in your life. And if you even allowed a hint of immorality in your life, allow him to to, to reveal that and ask for forgiveness in that in your life. He says, I want you to walk moment by moment so surrendered and yielded that whatever I want to do in your life, why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, but it isn't automatic. You still have to step in to the freedom. Galatians chapter 5, he says what? We know what it is to live by the Spirit, now walk in the Spirit. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, he says, I want you to pray in the Spirit. And I'll just be honest with you, I don't think that means you have to make up a whole other language. I suppose if God wants to do it, he can do whatever he wants. He just simply says, if you're going to pray, why don't you be carried along and pray for the things the Spirit of God wants you to pray for? Doesn't that make sense? Be yielded to him. On all occasions. Even when you're arguing with your spouse. Let the Holy Spirit check you. Put some barriers that you're not going to cross so that we actually solve an issue rather than just hurting one another. See, the more I reflect on this stuff, the less mystical it becomes. To me, the more obvious it becomes. Lord, I don't want to do anything to turn off the spigot of what you've promised you want to do in my life. I put on your notes a graph that we've used before, and I'll probably use it again. I, I've never found a better one that I've I created it, but I've never found a better one for myself. In that as we begin the journey of faith, we're on the path, right? This is not a question. Now, if you're not even on the path, we've got to get on the path, right? By the way, that's where resisting the Spirit can come in, is that God wants to do a saving work in your life. You just, you just are unwilling to have to do the saving work. But we'll come to a point in our life, I believe every Christian comes here, where we decide whether or not God gets to be God or whether we're going to keep on trying to be God. It's called the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
All that means is he gets to call the shots and we don't. And it will usually reveal itself at an issue. It'll be a, a relationship, a financial thing. It'll be something that you don't want to let go of or that God wants you to pick up that you don't want to pick up. And it usually reveals itself over an issue in your life. But what it really is is a heart condition that just keeps pushing and wanting to be in control. And frankly, God is a gentleman. He won't force you to listen to him. He's pretty persistent, but he's not going to force you. And so if you want to walk in your own direction, you can. And that's the, that's the path that goes around in circles. Because you're going to find yourself being the children of Israel, walking around, constantly going over the same struggles, the same areas of frustration, the same consistent failures in your life. Why? Because you won't say yes. And just because you say yes doesn't mean that you'll never struggle or never. In fact, I find that just as many little crossroads come even after you say yes because he keeps on refining. And I will tell you, I am in no way perfect and my wife better not say amen, but she's thinking it in her heart right now. But I will tell you that after I made this decision in 1986 to always say yes to the Lord, I have always eventually said yes. Sometimes quicker than others. But as much as I know, even before I got up here just right now, I just said, Lord, I want to make sure we're, we're good, right? I just want to make sure there's nothing that I'm not aware. doesn't mean I'm in any way perfect. Oh, my goodness, I am so far from it. Because the more yielded you are, the more you realize that you need to yield. And you realize just how far short you fall. But I wonder today if there's not a surrender that needs to take place that allows God to start doing what he really wants to do in your life. I'm not suggesting you watch this movie. Um, if you do, watch the TV version. Some of you have heard of the movie Evan Almighty. Remember Noah's Ark, that whole thing? You know what I'm talking about? Seriously? You don't? I need to get out more. Before that movie was Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty, Jim Carrey was the main character. Morgan Freeman was God. And Bruce had some criticism of how God was handling things and thought he could do things better. Long story short, God meets with him and gives him his Request makes him God. In other words, he can do whatever he wants to do. And he has a heyday. Bruce gets all the money he'd ever wanted, all the fame he'd ever wanted, probably all the women he'd ever wanted. He just, it was all about him. Until he realizes that being in control of his own life led to a lot of pain for him and devastation for the others around him. So after he wrecks his relationship and wrecks his life and wrecks the life of other people that he loves, there is a scene where the rain is coming down in a thunderstorm. And Jim Carrey, Bruce, is walking in the rain and he starts crying out to God, and he just simply says, I don't want to be God anymore. 
I don't want to be God anymore. And he gets down on his knees and he says, I surrender. And I wonder how many of us have areas of our life that we are just still God. And can God save a marriage? Absolutely, but not while you're God. And can God deal with your past? Absolutely. Does he want to? Absolutely, but not while you're still God. And can God break addictions and freedoms in your life? Does, can he, absolutely, does he want to? I believe with all my heart, but not while you're still God. For some, there are foothold areas of their life, and you're saying, Lord, am I ever going to get... Absolutely, there's victory been paid for by the cross of Jesus Christ. The power of the resurrection, it more than sufficient. But not while you're still God. And does God want to lead your life? Absolutely, but he can't do it while you're still God. I mean, sorry if it sounds too strong, but I don't know any better way to say it. As long as you're God, he can't be. And so, Father, today um, we've talked a lot about strongholds. I have a feeling there are all kinds of us that have all kinds of either mats places of safety that we cling to that keep us from moving forward and strongholds, they're ways that we think that we think are going to protect us but they're really shackling us footholds, areas that we've allowed residence in our lives of some things that oughtn't to be there and there's probably all kinds of sincere desires I I would guess there's probably a, a couple that's here today This is not a prophetic word. It is simply because I know people. There is probably a couple that's here today that is wondering if they're ever going to make it. And you're wondering if God could possibly save your marriage. And not only can he, I promise you, he wants to. I promise you that. But not while you're still God. So in your note sheet, I put a little note, just a prayer. That simply says, Lord, I struggle with surrendering this area of my life. For some of you, it's just saying yes to him. And I really do want freedom and I'm asking you to forgive me for trying to hold on to this area. So I ask you to forgive me and right now I just, it's a trust issue. I want to trust it to you. And I ask you to make me free and I ask you to do this work and I ask you to lead my life. I, I surrender. I surrender. There's someone who's sitting here today, you came in today, first time, and you would swear somebody told me you were coming. That little tapping that's on your shoulder 
is the spirit of grace who says, aren't you tired of trying to be in control of everything? Trust me. Surrender your life to me. Say yes to me. It's Jesus Christ who's been crucified for our sins. He's alive and coming again. And he says, I, I want to I make you my child, but you've got you've to say yes to me. Now, we're not looking around, but even if we were, who cares? Isn't freedom worth more than worrying about what somebody thinks? But you're here this morning, and the only reason I'm asking you to do this is just to give a physical evidence to spiritually something God is speaking to you about. And this morning, you want to raise your hand and just say, Lord, today I'm surrendering this area of my life. I'm surrendering my life. It might be you. It might be the, it might just simply I'm, I'm control my life, my legacy, my future, my family, this area of unforgiveness. But you just want to respond this morning. I'm just going to pray for you as you respond. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's awesome. Don't be embarrassed about it. This is awesome. I, I think 90% of us could probably raise our hand right now, right? Just anybody else. I'm just asking, all I'm going to do is ask the Lord for those who are actually responding. They're willing to take that risk and step out and say, I need you in this area. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Lord. Thank you. So, Father, people are responding right now, and I believe that's just simply, maybe it is a kind of a picture of that whole touching the hem of Jesus' cloak. Lord, right now, we're exercising the faith we have, realizing that you've spoken to us, and I'm tired of being God, and I'm tired of being in control, and I'm, I surrender. You've got me. I say yes, and Lord, I will say yes. Just let me know what it is, but I, I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to say yes tomorrow, and I want to say yes every moment. I'm going to say yes in my marriage. I can't control everything my spouse does, but my heart is just begging right now that my spouse is making the same decision. Lord, I can't guarantee my kids are responding right now, but Lord, as much as a parent, I'm surrendering them to you and I'm begging that they're surrendering to you too. The enemy got his foot in the door in this area and Lord, I'm closing the door in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, by the blood of the cross, by the, by the power of the resurrection, I'm closing the door to this area of my life and it isn't to hide it, it's to no longer allow the enemy to have sway. I give it to you. Give me freedom. Give me victory in my life. Every moment, every day, give me that victory. Jesus, I believe you're real. I say yes to you. I invite you to come into my life. Lord, however people are responding, I pray that you would meet them in this moment, that this would be so much more than a message, but would it be a transformational moment as we step forward into what you have for us, as we step in to the freedom that is ours in Christ. Thank you. We love you this morning. We celebrate you in this place. You are the one who breaks strongholds. And you bring freedom. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.